done. Okay, well let's uh, let's get into this. Um, yeah. What show are we doing? <coughs> Renaissance. Oh, Renaissance. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Renaissance. With it. Cold okay. War Caesar thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> I know Welcome back to the Renaissance podcast, episode forty-one. Papa Bear, how are you today, Bubble Boy? I am freezing as much as you are sweating. Ah, if we could just find a way to yeah. to a little bit of both. merge, yeah, yeah, we just merge, merge a bit of your cold, a bit of my right. heat. Fox has just walked into my room. <laughs> Hello, why, Fox. Why are you here, Fox? <laughs> You're going to get paper so you can draw pictures of Michael Jackson. Okay. It's, um, it's... um today it's... on the oh, show. Back to yeah. back to business at hand. Okay, we'll just get the paper and go. I'm busy. I'm talking to Ray Ray. <laughs> yeah. Um, today on the show, very special, very special guest. Uh, one of my favourite people in the entire world, and apart mine. from Ray right. and Chrissy, is uh, Alex Kynaston. Welcome to the show, Alex. Uh, thanks. <laughs> oh, Fox nice. wants to say hi too. Say hi to Alex. Oh, hi, Fox. She says hi back. All right, can you get your paper and go, please? Don't play my guitar. Go. Now, um, Alex is uh, joining us from Sydney, but you normally live in Melbourne. Um, Alex, talk about how old you were when you met me for the first time. Uh, I distinctly remember being 10, I think. (laughs) We met outside a hotel in... Um, Surfers Paradise, I think, in Queensland. I was going to get my hair braided, weirdly, um, and you were chatting with my dad, I think. So I think I was 10. Really? Okay, wow, there you go. I'd forgotten to be... You're probably right, that probably was the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, How old are you now, Alex? I'm 19. So um, I've known you for half your life, Alex. Uh, Oh, that's good. I know. (laughs) It is for me too. <laughs> um, Alex, Alex's uh, father, uh, Tony Kynaston, good friend of mine. Uh, and, um, of course, Alex and Tony were with us in Europe, um, mm-hmm. which we, we had a great time. Um, t- tell let's, let's talk about the Europe trip. So, okay, let me – oh, shit. I should explain why you're on the show. So, Alex is <laughs> – we invited Alex on the show because she's studying – she's doing a fine arts degree. Is that right? Is that what it's called? Yeah, it is. Bachelor of okay. Fine Arts. Bachelor of Fine Arts. And when we were in Europe, uh, we were walking around uh, the, the museums and the galleries, and uh, I, I just hung out with Alex and let her explain <coughs> everything to me because right. she knows everything. And she was like, well, this is that, and this is important because of this and that. And uh, quite honestly, every time we, we do an art-related episode on this show, I feel nervous because I know you might listen to it and <laughs> I'll come across as a complete idiot. And Alex will be sitting there shaking her head going, oh, my God, right. I've known you nearly half my life and you're an idiot. Yeah. So I thought we should get her on to talk about something art-related. But before we get to that, um, let's talk about Europe. Um, of our Europe trip, what was the highlight for you, um, apart from meeting Ray, I mean, obviously, uh, no, the artistic America. Oh, oh that's, that's right. right. You did yeah. too. Yeah. Where? Yeah, no, Where I was you... there for Fox. I was there in Europe for Fox. <laughs> you met Ray in North in... Carolina. Yeah, North Carolina. 
right. <laughs> Shooting the <laughs> Jesus film. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, you're so intertwined with my life, mm-hmm. Alex, and my projects. What was your favourite, uh, the favourite thing that you saw or did on our Europe trip? Um, I think, you know, the most emotional response I had was seeing Nike. Who was that? <laughs> was that in Rome? Um, the the big statue that? of the yeah, yeah, yeah. of winged victory that is in yeah. sort of the top of the staircase in the Louvre in Paris. Oh, in Paris, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, for me, I remember the emotions more than the place. So, <laughs> yeah, no, right. It was more inspiring. I just started like tearing up. It was amazing. Um, oh wow. Yeah, yeah it was it very is, emotional. It, and the Botticelli as well in the Uffizi. That was pretty special. The um, uh, Aphrodite coming out of the clamshell. Yeah, the birth of Venus and birth of um, Venus. Yeah, Primavera as well. Yeah, wow. That um, the the Victory Nike uh, statue. Just, I mean, I've seen that. You know, I've been to the Louvre a handful of times, and every time it just. I remember the first time I saw it. It just nearly knocked me off my feet. It's so incredible isn't yeah it, it is Visceral. it's really incredible and um if anyone's you know comparing the name to the brand it does come from the statue the the swoosh the nike tickers from the um the shoulders to the wing of the statue that's where they got the little you know symbol it's pretty cool wow when um, I don't know if you know this, but your dad was on my boys' podcast, my twins yeah, have a podcast. <laughs> you listen to it, and they were asking him how to pronounce Nike. Is it Nike? And he's like, "No, it's Nike." Hunter was saying, "Yeah, but how do you pronounce B I K E?" And I thought, uh, "Apple clever. doesn't fall very f- Being too Apple doesn't fall very far from the tree with my kids." So they're like, "Hey, we'll pronounce things the way that we want to fucking pronounce them. Um, <laughs> yeah. Don't give me your Greek language." Anyway, okay. So, um, what we uh, are going to talk about today, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is the relationship between David and Goliath and Florence and some of the David-related artworks. Um, now, for those of you who haven't read your Bible recently, I thought I would start with uh, reading the David and Goliath story, bits of it anyway. Some of it's a bit long, but because uh, I'm not sure many people actually know the actual story of David and Goliath, and it's kind of important for what we're going to talk about. So, uh, in my best Bible reading voice, uh, this is from the book mm-hmm. of Samuel in the Old Testament, Ray. Ray, you, 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 nobody knows the book of Samuel better than you. Um, right. Who, who was Samuel, and uh, when was it written, Ray? Uh, He was the older brother of Sammy Davis Jr., very little known fact. Um, And I'm not sure of the date. No, I actually, I have no idea. I don't think I've ever read that. I've seen the movie. Uh, I don't need to read it. Uh, Please give us the background. Which movie? You saw something on YouTube about the Uh, Bible? Was it Richard Gere? Was it Richard Richard Gere? Wow. Who who played David? I'm kind of trying to remember now. An officer, a gentleman, and a biblical prophet. Um, there must have been the sequel to An Officer and a Gentleman. Uh, I don't know, man, but uh, Samuel uh, plays a pretty big role in the sort of period of the biblical judges 
uh, to the to creating the kingdom of Saul, and then the transition from Saul to David in the Bible. He sort of tells these stories. Samuel the seer. Um, I'm not exactly sure when he's supposed to have lived or when he's supposed to have written. I'm guessing probably during the Babylonian exile, uh, probably around about then. Uh, so that's what in the 500s BCE, I think. Anyway. Uh, here it is, uh, the book, uh, it's First Samuel, and he goes on to say, it, uh, he's talking about how the uh, Jews are going to war with the Philistines. And then he says, a champion named Goliath, who came from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Mm-mm. Now, uh, just translating that, that would be about nine feet, nine inches or three meters tall. Wow. Big guy. So just just think Andre the Giant. Um, <laughs> how, how tall wrestler. was how tall was Andre the Giant? Anybody know off the top of the I just, just okay, just changing the subject for I started reading The Princess Bride last night. Has anyone actually read The Princess Bride? It's it's cumbersome. I started reading it. <laughs> yeah. You started? Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not cumbersome. It's fantastic. It's the greatest book I've ever mm. read. I've only read mm. the first chapter. Mm. No. He's um, two point no. two four meters. It says Google. Right, two point four. So this, so Goliath was, uh, you know, bigger, bigger than Andre <laughs> the Giant. Right. Um, blah blah blah. It goes on and on. How David's brothers were in the army, and David was back attending the sheep, and his father was very old, and he sent him to the army with some cheese, uh, because sure. there's nothing an army needs more than cheese an army lives on its cheese there's a old <laughs> saying that's well known and to check on his brothers Napoleon. and he got there yeah and he saw saw goliath scaring the fuck out of everyone and he said seriously you guys are all complete pussies i'll, I'll take him on and then i'll the, 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 then uh, samuel goes on saul who's the king of the jews saul replied you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. Now, first of all, I beg, I ask the question: Why is the king talking to some kid who came with a with some cheese? Well, right. doesn't the king have better things to do than to be talking to the cheese delivery boy? Cheese monger. It's like a it's like the pizza delivery boy turned up and he starts talking to him about his battle strategy. That's, I mean, well, seems other- strange to me. The other question is, why would the king talk out, t- try to talk out the only guy who's willing to go against the giant? Not exactly his best. Well, because he's he's like twelve. I mean, but still, still, you don't want that on your some, conscience. Some, he's a king. He okay. doesn't care. Okay, listen. You know, marrying twelve-year-old girls and knocking them that's up, fine. and God, God impregnating without warning a twelve-year-old girl—that's one thing. But this is a man. This is a boy. We're talking about <laughs> no. here. You don't want to. Have your no. reputation as a, the king of the Jews sending a boy to anyway. Kid killer. Yeah. But David said to Saul, and first, and so listen, where does this kid get the 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 cojones to talk back to the king? <laughs> Who is this this kid anyway? David said to Saul, "Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock." I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, 
I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant... I don't know why I'm doing this. Your servant has killed both the lion... I got taken over by the spirit of walking for a second there. Your, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Um, so it begs the question, how does he know he's uncircumcised? Is Goliath just like... Well, he's really swinging it around. He's like, yeah, look at up. this. Yeah. They call me the giant. Sorry, Alex, okay. I forgot to mention, how long have you been listening to our podcasts, Alex? Um, four or five years, I think. <laughs> Since you were <laughs> very young. Yeah, oh, that's I'm not... Sorry. I'm People sorry. thinking, oh, they're talking about dicks with a girl, a, a lady on the... Th- yeah, Alex has been listening for a long time. And I remember being horrified when I found out that you were listening. And also, I've got to point <laughs> out, uh, very early on in our Caesar show, which was about five or six years ago, we, we ran a toga, dress up as a toga, a toga competition. And the yeah. only person who submitted an entry of themselves wearing a toga was you... Hey, there's uh, a bit of backstory to that. You can't just drop that. And not oh, okay, okay. Tell us the backstory. You, what was the backstory? Well, the backstory was that I was at camp <laughs> for the summer, and um, there was a. It was like a toga party night at the end of the week, so we were all in bed sheets and like clothes. <laughs> it wasn't wasn't weird. Um, so I think <laughs> did a photo with a bunch of us, right? Uh, no. Needless to say, uh, I got a mug and I won something. Was it a rolling so, camp? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so I get a I get a photo of a fourteen year old girl wearing a bed sheet, and I was like, "Yeah, this is this is not right." It's I don't. Right. I, I just close <laughs> my eyes and send her a coffee mug and pretend that didn't happen. Anyway, so uh, right. yeah, yeah. Well. You know, you know, depending on whether we're in biblical times or not. Nope. Fourteen be too old, really, no. quite frankly. In biblical, <laughs> biblical days. Thanks. Over the hill, over the hill. <laughs> anyway, uh, where was I? Oh, uh, yeah, he said uncircumcised Philistine, because he living has defied God. the armies of yeah. the living God. I'd be going well. Let the living God fucking deal with it. Quite honestly, if you have a living God on your side, just right, let go, it. say go do it. What? What are we? Yeah. Why? What do you need? Why hasn't he taken care of this by now? They've been standing there. The backstory is uh, uh, Goliath's been calling him out for like a month before this, going, "Who wants to do like swinging dick and the whole thing? Like, oh, it's a piece of this." And they're all like, "Oh no, thank you." God still hasn't taken care of it for some reason. Maybe he was busy. Maybe he was on the toilet watching the new Ted Bundy documentary series on Netflix. I don't know. Right. By the way, Ted, Ted Bundy documentary. Oh, my God. Fascinating. But anyway, don't get me started on that. So then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened the sword over the tunic and tried walking around, but he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth sure. stones from the stream, 
put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. <laughs> Sorry, I did just watch... Um Seven Psychopaths again uh, on my flight back from Melbourne the other day. Great film. So oh, such a good film. Right. Yeah. Um, now, uh, this 12-year-old kid, he's speaking to like a three-meter-high giant. Right. Like, th- like this. Like this kid is either insane or has balls the size of... Uh, <laughs> Goliath. Goliath. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, Alex. As as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and Mm -hmm. struck the. Well, it turns out he's like me shooting my documentary, man. He's Mr. One Shot. Remember, I told told my crew. Did I tell you this story? Did I tell you yeah. the story on the podcast? Oh, okay. I did. All right. <laughs> Ray doesn't remember. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. With a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Well, hold on. I would have thought that the stone sinking into yeah. his head... Would have Stone did it. Would have done a pretty good job of that. Yeah. Um, anyway, just you know, it's like fighting a zombie. You got a double tap, man. You never, you never just assume that uh, he's down. Yeah, did the double tap. Uh, David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. So he had a sword. I guess right. it was Saul's sword that he killed the Philistine with, double tapped, but then he ran and stood over him. So I'm confused here. Uh, he, he he hit him in the head with a stone. Goliath fell to the ground. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, without a sword in his sand. Oh, okay. I fucked that up. Yeah. <laughs> so David triumphed. Over, what are you saying? Yeah, like you know what I'm talking about. You, what, no. you got this in front of you? Okay. Well, don't, 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 don't do that. Don't go. Yeah, like you know, okay. I fucked up. I'll okay, say no. just, 
edit that out. Make me look smart. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. (laughs) David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from its sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. So that is the story of David and Goliath. Wow. What does this have to do with Florence, Alex? <laughs> um, a lot. <laughs> well, I mean, it was the story that was adopted um, by Florence, uh, specifically when they won over the Duke of Milan. They're a relatively small city, especially after the bubonic plague. They, um, you know, their population went down immensely, so they kind of became David, um, slaying Goliath. And the famous Michelangelo's David is in Florence because of this. In um, And Donatello's David is there because of this. The Medici's, who I know you guys have talked about a lot, have really taken on this identity as David uh, for the um, city of Florence. So they, at some point, they kind of saw themselves as the little guy taking on the big guys, like, uh, as you said, Milan and various uh, Holy Roman emperors. They're, they're the little, they're the underdog, basically, is how they see themselves, like, like David. A 12-year-old yeah. twink, basically. They see themselves as a little twink um, <laughs> with a hairless body. Um, well, it's funny because I went back reading through all of my books on Florence and the history of Florence, trying to figure out how it was depicted. And interestingly enough, Machiavelli, in his history of Florence, doesn't mention this at all. Doesn't mention David or Goliath at all, which I find interesting. But it seems to be written in a lot of modern biographies of Florence. But I would have thought um, Machiavelli would have made mention of it, but he doesn't. Have you come across this in any uh, sort of contemporary documents, Alex? Um, Not about that, but indirectly about um, Donatello's David. There are records of of that sculpture in... um, the events of Lorenzo de' Medici's wedding. So um, we have, you know, the icon of David in uh, contemporary writing with the sculpture, but, yeah, nothing specific from my research. Yeah. Uh, Ray, did you come up with anything? Um, I, I couldn't find anything like you. Know, I couldn't find anything where, like, there was this proclamation from the city or the seigneury or something like that. So I don't know if it was just a part of their culture. Maybe it was um, um, kind of on the lips or, or everybody's mind, but I, I couldn't find anything where there was a, a direct statement. Um, but I did want to ask Alex, um, I guess because of the story of David and Goliath, out of all the Davids that are in Florence, I'm assuming because of the story, this is why they depict him as a young man, excuse me, or almost as a boy, because he does later on become a king, become a wise king, become a very powerful person in his own right when he's older, but they don't portray him that way. It's always this youth. Is that, I guess it's because of his great moment that, I guess, reminds Florence of themselves. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the Renaissance is the rebirth, so it kind of makes sense also from their perspective to have a young boy because they're mm-hmm. a young city. Um, but it adds to the idea of his weakness, which adds to the idea of the power of God in um, allowing him to defy Goliath and defeat him. So um, it's interesting because in Donatello's 
David, he's quite young, as you'd expect from the story, but in Michelangelo's, he's kind of late teens, which is interesting. Yeah, and he's swole. Mm. Well, let's, yeah. let's, uh, <laughs> let's talk about the uh, Donatello, David, because it obviously precedes the, the Michelangelo and uh, is probably less famous for the average uh, person. In fact, uh, we didn't see it on this trip because we didn't go to the Bargello the Balagello yeah. uh, uh, Museum, um, unfortunately. We'll have to do that on our next trip, um, which yeah. I think next time it's just the three of us, right? Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. We'll, we'll just go. Uh, quite frankly, we'll leave everyone. Yeah. It's, you know, just, just the three of us are going we'll just, out. We won't tell anybody. We'll just slip out and, yeah. By the way, speaking of hanging out with Alex, uh, when we were in New York after shooting the uh, film in North Carolina... Alex came with Tony and I to the number one cigar club <laughs> in New York City, and she had a stogie with uh, Tony. Nice. Good yeah. for you, about Alex. Good about you. midnight, we're sitting in this really swanky cigar lounge in New York City, where we bought. We had to buy cigars there, obviously, because you don't want to take cigars to a retail place like that. It's rude, and they were like a hundred bucks a cigar. It's insane, US. It was really expensive, but uh, yeah, Alex had her first cigar sitting in this club, so uh, that was fun. Yeah, that was fun. I'm emulating Chrissy. <laughs> That's there's right. A, yeah, there's a photo of Chrissy. She's 17 <laughs> when she had her first one. Uh, yeah, 17, 18, something like that. Yeah, in Germany. Yeah, I was in the state. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. These innocent little looking, you know, sort of redheads having their first cigar. I'm passing on the corruption. Uh, you know, to the new generation. Yes, you are. <laughs> it's, it's always been my ambition. Um, so, okay, uh, let's talk about the background behind the uh, Donatello David State. We haven't talked about Donatello a lot on the show. We've mentioned him briefly. He's going to come up more in the next couple of episodes um, as uh, the Medici start to patronize more artists he's one of the first uh, where do you want to start in telling the story of donatello and david alex oh um <laughs> i don't know where i want to start i guess some general information he's a bronze sculpture which is a, a classical reference um it's about 58 centimeters high so quite small it's an intimate sculpture and it's meant to be viewed close up um it was in the medici palace in the via larga um and was put alongside donatello's uh judith and holophanes <laughs> i don't know how to say that word sorry um, but uh they were statues commissioned by the medicis as a pledge to florence that um they would always know that they um owe their power to God and will always act in a principled way. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. There's, <laughs> there's a lot to talk about. I think probably best to describe the sculpture first. So he's um, a bit smaller than life-sized. He's the first freestanding bronze sculpture in the Renaissance. Freestanding wasn't a, really possible with the technology of the classical, you know, Greek and Roman antiquity, but bronze definitely was in the Greek times. It's kind of funny because marble is um, associated with wealth and antiquity, but the Romans copied the bronze statues of the Greeks in marble. And the first Donatello, uh, the first David that Donatello did was in marble, but this one's in bronze, so it's hearkening back to the Greek times. Yeah, so there's a it's a contrapposto figure, so boy kind of standing with one hip cocked and one arm bent 
with a, a sword in his hand standing on top of Goliath. Uh, Goliath's head. Hold on a second, Alex. Can you explain contraposto for those of us that don't have fancy uh, educations? <laughs> yeah, sure. So contraposto was a kind of a term developed by Polyclitus from the Greek antiquity. It's just basically the way of making sculptures look, look more lifelike and distributing weight equally. It's typically shown where a body will be standing with one leg straight and bearing weight, the other loose, and then on the opposite side, an arm bent and relaxed, and then the other side, it's rigid and holding weight. So it's kind of just a way of making a figure look relaxed and lifelike. If you think back to ancient Egyptian sculptures, you know, everything's very stiff and supported. But here it's a way of making sculptures more realistic and more impactful. And I assume it was difficult to make statues like that because you have to figure out how to distribute the weight. And I want you to talk about this whole freestanding business too. Like, I know uh, our tour guides uh, when we were in Europe were, were talking about this a lot, making a big deal out of it because it was very challenging to figure out. Like, if you if you look at sculptures from the... Um, sort of uh, uh, period just before the Renaissance, they're, they're all sort of reliefs on the wall mostly, and then they gradually start to uh, emerge out of yeah. uh, the wall until uh, when we get to Donatello, it's uh, the first freestanding in terms of a bronze. This is this was like a difficult engineering exercise, as I understand it. Is that right? Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> well, I mean, most people have tried making little clay figures and whatnot, and it's, you know, as soon as you start elongating a body and trying to have it stand, it just tips over. So they got around this in ancient times by having some kind of support structure, like a figure was standing next to a well or something, it would be resting so that some of the weight would be distributed into the other structure in the, in the sculpture. But yeah, no, as you said, the Renaissance was a time that sculptures stepped away from a pretty architectural relief and into a like it's a, a art form in itself really right okay so get back to describe sorry i interrupted you uh with the contraposto thing get back to talking about the the donatello bronze david yeah sure yeah so it's a, a young boy which makes sense given the story in the bible he's wearing a hat he's got a sword and he's got boots on but other than that he's naked which is a bit risky <laughs> And so, yeah, so he's standing on the head of Goliath. Some historians think it's actually Donatello's head that he's kind of worked himself into the sculpture. Modern historians kind of look back at it now with a bit of a, a lens of kind of a homoerotic figure because he's naked, he's a young boy. If you um, look kind of in any direction other than standing right in front of him, you can't tell that he's a boy, like he could be a young girl just as easily. And the helmet of Goliath, which is at the base of his foot, is that there's like a feather that travels all the way up his leg <laughs> through his inner, inner thigh. And the contraposto, the way he's standing, kind of accentuates his butt. So it's, you know, it's quite an erotic figure. And this is something that lots of historians, modern historians, debate about the significance of. Do you need a moment, Alex? Do you need a moment to sort of like come down off your 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 uh, the talking about the eroticism of the statue? Yeah, do you need, <laughs> no, 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 it's just a, a page. Do you, need, do you need do you need a cold shower? Oh, okay. Sorry, keep no, going. Sorry, Ray. <laughs> no, I just wanted to ask. First of all, I, I'm glad you addressed the sexuality because when you look at that um, statue, um, yeah, I mean it's just replete with sexuality. But the other part that 
I found intriguing was that the last thing David looks like is that he's just killed a giant. He's relaxing. His head is down. He's standing playfully. He's kind of got a little smirk on his face. I, was were they trying to was uh, Donatello trying to convey something with this very unwarrior like um, vibes that he's giving off? I, I mean, it looks like he's just you know rocked up to a party and he's just kind of looking around, getting ready to have fun. The last thing he looks like is he's just won a major battle. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, I mean, it all adds into the idea that he's just a weak little boy and that. God's power is so great that he could defeat Goliath. But um, when you look at the Renaissance and think that it's hearkening back to classical expression of the body, it kind of makes more sense. Some historians think that he was a real boy that was figured, was the, the model for this. And that kind of makes sense when you think that Goliath's head is Donatello's head. So, you know, he's modelled off a real person rather than the ideals of the body mm. of Christian art in the previous centuries. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, it does add to the story that you know, he's especially weak and small, but also he was probably figured off someone present at the time Donatello was making the sculpture. So a minute ago, you were saying that he was the first freestanding nude statue since antiquity. And when I was reading up on that, I, I mean, we all kind of know this, but I didn't get it specifically about when it comes to the Christian West, they're all about the soul because they see that the body is nothing more than the path to corruption. And here's this very young man who seems to have this big ego and he seems to be temperamental and he's putting it right in their face. I mean, I I don't know if this was a private commission, but I mean, this very naked young lad, I mean, it had to be a very almost in your face moment. And I'm kind of surprised he got away with it. Yeah, well, I mean, some historians like Adrian Randolph like to link that the erotic and political message are not incompatible but actually interdependent, that the idea that the statue invokes and revokes homoerotic attention plays into the um, story of David and Goliath. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry. Got flustered. Yeah, it's because it's sexy. It's so sexy. We're all flustered. <laughs> I'm certainly flustered. Sexy. Uh, now, I want to go back a bit um, and, and sort of compare Donatello's first statue of David, the marble, mm -hmm. with the bronze, because they're incredibly different. His first statue that he did uh, when he was in his early 20s um, well, is, is remarkably um, not erotic. Uh, the the look on David's face is kind of blank, um, it, and I guess it's it's kind of a, a classical look. It sort of reminds me of a Giotto painting. It looks like a, 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 a I don't know, a intoxicated cow being led to the slaughter. <laughs> um, just this sort of blank look, staring off into the distance. He's he's clothed. Um, he again, he's standing on a head. Uh, with a head at his feet, not standing on it, but with a head at his feet. But it, it's not at all sexy or erotic. It's, uh, you know, very, very sort of a traditional sculpture. Then when you get to the bronze, which he did, I think, uh, decades later, I think he did the, the marble sort of in 1408. He does the bronze for Cosimo mm -hmm. Medici uh, in the 1440s. So many, many decades later. And as you say, it's like sex on a stick. Um, yeah, definitely. Literally, his stick, <laughs> his stick is visible. Um, no, it, so 
I remember reading about this um, when I was in Florence, like the the overt homosexuality, the homoeroticism of this. Now, of course, uh, homosexuality was illegal and immoral um, in the in the Middle Ages, in the Renaissance, um, and the the very idea that a uh, Cosimo de Medici would commission something like this, uh, uh, allow Donatello to sculpt it. That Donatello would have the bravery, the courage to sculpt something which is so obviously homoerotic, and then when when it was finished, that Cosimo would put it up. I think it was in the it was in the Medici Palace. Yeah. Um, until the Medici got kicked out, uh, they went, went to one of their exiles, and then it got moved. But um, it's kind of outrageous at, at some level that they managed to do this and get away with it. It should have created a huge uproar, but I guess... Hey, so part of what makes this interesting is that Cosimo was like, nah, you know, just do it, man. Like, no one's going to touch you. I'm Cosimo fucking Medici. Like, seriously... I, you know, I could shoot somebody in Fifth Avenue and I'd still get elected president. Oh, wait, that was Trump who said that. Um, he's like, do whatever you want, but B, um, there's a question that I've read that maybe uh, Cosimo was uh, homosexual or bi. Uh, I know that Donatello lived in the Medici Palace for very, I don't know exactly how long, but for years and years. Yeah. Kind of, li- that was the level of patronage. He lived in there in the palace. Um, what do you what do you think about the over? Oh yeah, well he's supposedly homosexual, as was Da Vinci, um, and and uh, who else did oh, we talk about right. on the show who was homosexual? Oh. Uh, I think Michelangelo. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't got up to his biography yet, but we've talked about we briefly touched on this that there was a lot of the great artists were homosexuals during the Renaissance, um, and why that might be. But what, what have is is the the homosexual nature of the. Donatello and the Medici's come up in your uh, fancy schmancy uh, studies at all? <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I think there's kind of a trend with modern scholars too to to look back at art history and and have a more you know a more representational view of the different parts of society. So I think there's kind of more of an emphasis, in fact, now with, about the homoerotic nature of the sculpture and Donatello possibly being homosexual also. Yeah, as you say, Donatello is unmarried, living in the Medici Palace, probably had affairs with some of the Medici's. Texts at this time were coming back from people like Plato who had linked homosexuality and, you know, classicism. So there was that influence of the Renaissance onto the iconography, the religious story. So that's kind of one of the ways he got away with it. But also some people say that just the sheer physical beauty of David is something that God had bestowed on him. So any kind of erotic feelings from it are just due to the pure beauty of David. Mm. So that's like one reading. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There are lots of feelings about yeah. it. Some people say because of the um, the close proximity of David to the other statue, David, uh, sorry, Judith and Holofernes, that the two, sorry, that story is about a woman who, so who is weak because she's a woman. Um overcoming a man so that's a story of weak and, and strong so the proximity of the two kind of cancels out some of the non-religious parts the irreligious parts of the statue of david there's this question that i um fascinated with about were these great artists in the renaissance great artists because they were homosexual um 
does being homosexual make you a great artist? Just like every every gay person on the planet is inherently a great artist. Do you have to be homosexual to be a great artist? Is this something that they teach you at your fine arts uh, school? They say, listen, honestly, if you want to be really, really good, mm-hmm. you've got to, you know, you've got to be homosexual. I'm sorry. Uh, sorry to break this to you, but uh, <laughs> there'll be training uh, after school. <laughs> Here's my address. Come on over. Um is it is it because they weren't married and didn't have kids and so they could just dedicate themselves obsessively to their art? Uh, what or is it just you know purely coincidence that uh, all of these great artists were homosexual? What do you think, Alex? Has uh, <laughs> you know anyone ever come to you at your fine arts school and said, "Listen, you know here's the here's the secret that yeah. uh, we don't like to talk about publicly." The uh, bit, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Um, short answer, no. <laughs> um, that's disappointing. Because <laughs> that's what Ray told me in Vegas. I've got to be honest. He said, listen. If you want to be a great podcaster. Yeah. 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 Sorry. <laughs> I think um, possibly being on the fringes of society as a homosexual kind of gave you a different ability to see society in a different way and, you know, portray it in art perhaps but yeah i don't think it has a great impact well i guess before this time uh uh being a home being homosexual um in the 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 middle ages would have been a recipe for death an early death i mean you would have been um executed you would have been uh, uh charged with uh some crime related to sodomy if you're a man um and just being too hot for society if you're a woman and they would have had you executed so um i don't know just i guess these guys were protected in uh in in the renaissance uh by the medici and 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 florence generally florentine society and um yeah i don't know it's fascinating i've been trying to figure out the connection or lack thereof I think that's going to be the subject of my next documentary. Um, there you go. Anywho, um, let's get back to David. Well, let's let's move on to uh, the most famous David, the Michelangelo David. Um, oh, before we do that, I want to read. Um, this is from Paul Strathern's book um, on the Medici. He says, Cosimo commissioned the sculptor Donatello to produce a bronze statue of the biblical David, which would stand in the courtile, the inner courtyard, intended to impress all who had been favoured with an invitation to enter the Palazzo Medici. In commissioning the figure of David, Cosimo made a characteristically shrewd choice. The young David who slew the giant Goliath was widely recognized by Florentines as an emblem of their city. For them, David represented the triumph of justice over tyranny, an embodiment of the city's much vaunted Republican values. So it's not just uh, Florence versus Milan. I think it's also the uh, Popolo Minuto um, mm. over the the aristocracy, you know, because they had this quasi-democracy, particularly under the Medici. Here was an implicit declaration. Yeah, great, 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 uh, great democracy under the Medici. It's like the, the democracy under under Augustus. Right? Sure, sure, you can yeah. vote for whoever yeah. you want. As long as it's who we want, it's fine. <laughs> You can vote for whoever you want as long as it's one of these two guys, all right? All right, off you go. Mm. Um, The statue 
is an unabashed masterpiece of homoerotic sexuality, and its sensuous nudity is only emphasised by the young David's calf-length ornamented leather boots, large floppy country-style hat, and the long curly tresses that fall down over his shoulders. His open-toed boot rests casually on the helmeted severed head of the slain giant Goliath, but in such a way that the exaggerated feathered wing of Goliath's helmet softly caresses his inner thigh. The specially darkened bronze adds highlights to the soft smoothness of the flesh, giving it a... I should have some bow-chicky, bow-wow music going on here. Some Barry White in the background. Yeah, baby, giving it a sensuality that ensures this is no idealized Renaissance figure or emblematic ancient hero at which we gaze in awe. On the contrary, this is a figure that beguiles the eye, all but enticing the spectator to feel its radiant surface. Yet such is the power of its beauty that somehow it transcends its flagrant homoeroticism. This is much more than an object of desire. It It is an aesthetic master. Masterpiece. Um, one thing I do want to point out, though, is the head at uh, David's feet does not look like the head of somebody who is three meters tall. Mm. Uh, shouldn't the head be a lot bigger? Did he have a huge body and a tiny head? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the head shrunk. Maybe after he chopped it off, all the blood yeah. came rushing out <laughs> of the head, yeah, and good. it just shrunk like putting a t-shirt through the dryer i don't know all right well let's talk about michelangelo's david um of course we went to see that as you as you must it's it's the law uh mm-hmm. in florence you mm-hmm. you have to go to the uh it's the academia right we went with big willie big willie uh sure. came with us minister we went to the academia uh, was that the first time you've been to Florence, Alex? Yeah, actually, the trip was the first time I've been to Italy. So, yeah. <laughs> right. Wow. Hope we didn't ruin it. For um, you. So, uh, only slightly. Well, I think. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> Fox ruined it for me. I tell you. <laughs> um, the uh, statue, Michelangelo's statue of David. What What did you think of that? I didn't realize that it would have such an expressive face. Like he actually has a look of kind of terror on his face, which is completely opposite to Donatello's David. Like, I mean, different points of the story. Um, Donatello's David is at the very end when he's already conquered Goliath and David, uh, Michelangelo's David is um, at the start when he's looking at Goliath. But um, yeah, just it's beautiful and it's, it's massive. It's it's um 5.17 meters or 17 feet tall in marbles instead of bronze. Um, it just and you know it's set up well. Like it's in a really good space in the gallery. It's like um at the very end of a long corridor. So as you walk up to it, you can kind of really appreciate the scale of it, which is it's just really it's beautiful. You see that as a look of terror on his face. That's interesting. I've never translated it that way. Yeah, I mean, his eyes are kind of bugged out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and he's got a little bit of a furrowed brow. I'd always seen it as being defiance, but, uh, yeah, it could be terror. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's one of the things that makes a difference. It's David before the fight is he concentrating 
Is he hoping God doesn't let him down or whatever? Do you know if um, Michelangelo made that decision on his own? Was it part of the commission? Was he kind of doing his own thing? Or do we know why he decided to break from everybody else, it seems, and do do David before the battle? Yeah, no clue. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I think, fine. though, that people would be hard-pressed to push Michelangelo to do anything he didn't want to do, though. Ah, yeah. good point. Uh, look, I, I've uh, like every time I uh, see Michelangelo's David, it just, I don't know, just I'm just shocked. Like, <laughs> yeah, just, just in in awe of the 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 uh, softness yeah. of the flesh, yeah, and just uh, how incredible it is. Now, um, of course, it was originally supposed to. I mean, it was originally outside. It was outside for for centuries, I think. But it was originally commissioned to be up at the top of the. Was it the Palazzo Signoria? I can't remember where it was supposed to be originally. Anyone it it was supposed to be at the Palazzo Vecchio, the seat of the Florentine government. That was the plan. Same thing, Palazzo okay. Signoria. Sorry. Yeah, Sorry. Della. Yeah. yeah. Right. <clears throat> Um, it was supposed to stand at the entrance to that, but uh, and so I think that's kind of the. I remember somebody telling me it might have been our, our tour guide when we were there. It might have been you, Alex. The sort of the way it's sculpted, he's, he's supposed to be looking down at the people because it was. Um, oh yeah. Uh, where the replica now is, it's sort of um, out the front of the Palazzo Vecchio, right on a, on a stand. Mm-hmm. Are you referring to the proportions? Yes, and the proportions, that's right, okay, because he's got really big hands or something? Yeah, he's got um, features that are adjusted for the fact that, you know, people are quite short and looking up at him. So um, the hands are very large and the head's kind of large in comparison to the legs and um, parts of the body that are closer to the audience. So it's a, right. you know, optical illusion. Right. Alex, did I get that wrong? Was David supposed to be on top of the cathedral at first, but they liked it so much? Maybe I've got my locations uh, mixed up. No, I think he was always supposed to be on a pedestal in front of the government. Okay, all right, thank you. Yeah, no, that was that was um, you're 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 getting that mixed up with um, Donatello's original uh, marble. Thank yeah. you. Uh, David, it was supposed to be at the top of the cathedral, along with. Uh, sculpture, another sculpture that maybe Brunelleschi was supposed to do, um, but uh, when yeah. when Donat, yeah, when Donatello finished him, like I said to you when we were in Vegas, it's just too small. It's not, uh, <laughs> not going to work. That's not going yeah. to. It's not going to do anything impress. really. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't even bother. Right. Let's not even you know get get it up. Are we talking about? <laughs> Let's not even get it up. It's just no. not going to. It's not going to work. I can't even see it. Hey, hey. Can't can't even see it, uh, quite frankly. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So that is a little bit of the story of Michelangelo's David, which we'll we'll go into in extreme, excruciating detail, I'm sure, when we get to Michelangelo. But Michelangelo's wasn't done until... The early 1500s, right? So uh, about a hundred years in the future in our timeline. Yeah, right. Still, yeah, we know it's Donatello not. was um, the early Renaissance. Yeah. Okay. 
All right. Um, what else? What else do we want to talk about? Uh, I've got I've got uh, some more writing here that I stole out of some books. Uh, here's um, John Najemi's History of Florence. He writes. Here perhaps was one reason behind his, and his, he's talking about uh, Medici, his and his government's appropriation of Michelangelo's David to project an image of political and military strength confident of the Almighty's favour. Because he's talking about, I think, um, the fact that, that Michelangelo's David is much more of a warlike David. He's not a, he's not a little... Twink, right. <laughs> um, who's uh, standing at the foot of your bed, saying, right. "You know, Hi. do you want a pe- yeah? Do you want a piece of this?" He's like uh, huge, muscly. He, he looks, you know, Donatello's David is is like a twink. Uh, Michelangelo's David yeah. is like um, you know, straight out of he's straight out of the village people. Right. You expect him to be, you know, he's just taken off his biker outfit or maybe he was the construction worker i'm not sure but he's he's straight out of the ymca film clip um you know he's been working out michelangelo like he's he's a shepherd i don't know how you build a body like that as a shepherd for we're fighting off lions and bears from your sheep but uh he's 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 schwarzenegger david uh he's swole he's been he's been on the juice this david um, that's probably why his balls are so small, quite frankly. Uh, as he's, yeah, does, I believe it does it. I don't know what your excuse is, right? Because <laughs> better you don't have the muscles. But anyway, he, uh, he says, back to Don, John Najemi, David was originally commissioned by the Cathedral Operol, uh, for the Operai for the North Tribune of the Duomo. But uh, in 1504, its location became an issue of public debate in a meeting convened by the Operai of artists and architects, including Botticelli, Filippino Lippi and Piero di Cosimo, to discuss the placement of the statue of Florentines called the Giant, a majority favoured placing it in the loggia on the south side of the piazza of the Priors. But an undocumented order which could only have come from the Signoria and in all likelihood from Soderini himself, shifted the destination to the Ringhiera, the platform from which the Signoria and the Chancellors addressed the public in front of the palace. Mm. David dramatically combined Savonarola's vision of Florence as the New Jerusalem with an image of muscular military preparedness, an ideal combination for a republic whose founding myth was divine approval of its popular constitution and whose most pressing objective was now the reconquest of Pisa. So I think it is it's interesting it's something that you don't um you don't get when you see photos of these things or even depending on whether or not you have a tour guide when you go and see these things um in the flesh as it were you don't get the historical um, connection with the time of when it was commissioned, why it was commissioned, what they were trying to... Like uh, when we talked about um, Ghiberti and the doors of the baptistery uh, being commissioned as a, as a thank you gift to God for allowing at least some of them to survive the plague... Uh, thank you for not killing all of us, uh, your, your almighty, your almightiness. 
Um, so there's this always this historical context behind when these things get commissioned, which just adds, I think, to the appreciation of it when you see it. So he's got a he's he's a military David as opposed to a. Mm. Let me come over and uh, give you a reach around David, which is the uh, Don the Donatello. Bring my feather. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah. That, that is the difference between the two. Like Donatello's is um, for semi-private viewing, and then. Michelangelo's is for public, mm. so, you know, they can get away with different things. Mm. The things you can't get away with in public these days. <laughs> so, all right. Well, Alex, um, thank you so much for coming on and making us feel more intelligent. Um, <laughs> is there any final thoughts you want to leave us with? Not really. <laughs> thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, I don't know. I just think it's kind of interesting to see how, you know, the Christian-centric art of the middle ages has morphed into a more classical um expression of body and and um classical ideas so yeah thank you very much for having me and i want to apologize for uh destroying your childhood as we did um way overdue i want to i want to thank you for all of the nice things that you've done for fox over the years and uh by the way uh alex is an extremely talented artist uh do you have a public website for your work yet that people can go check Mm -hmm. out alex Um, it's alexkyniston.com so um all lowercase alex and then k-y-n-a-s-t-o-n.com cool kyniston.com all right well Keep an eye out if you you know go and go and commission some art from Alex uh, because it'll be uh, worth a lot of money one day. It's great in the in the you know in the uh, short term, but uh, even long term it's going to be worth a lot oh, of money because yeah. she's going to be very very famous. <laughs> oh my god! For being on this show. fantastic. Yeah. I haven't I, yeah. I haven't even seen some of these Alex. These are great. I've seen some of them. And yeah, new from this. Wow! Year. Wow! Wow! I might get I might commission you to do a painting of Ray. Yes. <laughs> for me i'd love to um posed like donatello's david with his foot on my head don't ask why done and done. it's just a yeah it's just a thing it's just a it's just I'll bring a the thing feather. that i think about right right yeah a bit more of a strategic placement of the feather but you can do that oh hey all right all right, all right.